So a well-tempered city is a city that equalizes the landscape of opportunity for all human beings. And the second one is that it harmonizes humans and nature. The world is uh, reaching a point where by 2050 we'll have 10 billion people and 80% of those will live in cities. And so cities are the places in which we need to solve these problems. If we can do it in a way that actually improves opportunity for every individual and their families and is in balance with nature, then we can actually succeed. So how do we create cities that are viable in 2050? And one of the things we've learned is they have to be denser, more mixed use, more mixed income, greener, and more walkable and more transit friendly. A model for this is Singapore. Now Singapore was driven to this by another reason. In 2060, it's going to, it's, it's a pipe between it and Malaysia that supplies its water is going to, um, the lease on that runs out. And so they are working to become water independent. To become water independent, they realized they needed more natural land for reservoirs. To have more natural land, and they want to grow their population at the same time, they realized that they had 12% they had of the island is used by roads, and they could reduce that to 8% if they put in more mass transit and got people out of cars. So all of these things are all tied together. So their vision is to move towards buildings that are over 50 stories tall, that are a mix of incomes, mix of uses, mix of races, have beautiful parks and gardens around them that are storing some of this water, that are transit all tied together with mass transit, fewer roads, fewer cars, and more land for, um, for, for both for nature and for water preservation. All these things go together, and when you plan them well, they can be really fantastic. In the 50s and 60s and 70s, as American rapidly suburbanized, uh, there was a view that uh, that cities were bad for the environment. I actually proposed in Brooklyn a very large-scale, mixed-use, mixed-income, transit-focused development that was very, very green, and I got sued by the NRDC for proposing this. And uh, I went to the head of the NRDC and said, you don't understand. Um, you're trying to preserve all this rural land, and if I can attract all those people to the city and make it work, that takes the pressure off the rural land. And he said, no, the answer is larger scale zoning in which we're preserving more land. But what larger scale zoning does is it just spreads people out further, forcing them to drive more. Um, and one of the interesting things we're also seeing today is that not only is that bad for the environment and getting people stuck in traffic, but the today's consumer, the home buyer, wants to live in denser, more walkable places. They want to be in town centers. They want to be um, near centers of activity. We're actually seeing not only a revitalization of cities all across America, we are seeing a revitalization of, of suburban town centers. Not the sprawling parts of suburbs, but the parts in which uh, there's coherence. When you look at the issues ahead for all of civilization, not just our cities, the issues of population growth and climate change and income inequality and, um, uh, and by the way, the changing nature of jobs which are going to be replaced by automation, etc. The only solution for this is for cities to have a vision of what they really want to be, not a vision of just what's good enough, but a vision of what's extraordinary. And that should be a 2050 vision because it takes a long time to get there. I'll just give you this a small example. In the 1970s, the um, school system in Finland was mediocre, and today it's the finest in the world. That's because they set out a goal to have the finest education system in the world. Um, so we need to do that for each of our cities, and we need to do a vision for 
our climate resilience. We need to do it for the quality of education for our children, for actually lifelong education, what we want for arts and culture, parks and open space, affordable housing, all those things. Now I'm going to give you a counterexample to insufficient vision. In Los Angeles, right nearby, um, today there are 47,000 homeless people. The uh, county just passed, the people of the county passed a very generous $1.2 billion bond issue to um, build 10,000 units of supportive housing for homeless over the next 10 years. That's a really good thing to do, but it's insufficient to meet the 47,000 homeless, and projections show that by in the next 20 years, that could grow to 150,000. So the vision is not only to have a sense of where we want to go and, and what the greatness could be, but it's actually to define it, define it really, really precisely, and then to help us work out very practical pathways towards getting there. And we need to measure our path towards that step by step by step. The other thing about a vision is that if a vision is a really grand one and you have broad citizen participation and an enormous amount of buy-in, then that outlasts the term of city council to city council and mayor to mayor because the whole community is unified in having a sense of where it wants to go. In cities, we see very little of the extraordinary polarization that has taken over America. Uh, and the reason, and this, by the way, whether the city is in north, south, east, west, middle of the country, on the coast, every mayor and every city council has to every day solve practical problems. They have to make sure the fire trucks work and the schools work, and, and they do better or worse jobs of it, but they're very much judged on, on, not on their political philosophy, but actually the quality of life that they create or don't create. I think this is really, really healthy. And that... Um, Citizen demand that uh, that issues of the day be dealt with uh, is very grounding. Sometimes it can be too grounding, and it can uh, restrict uh, a mayor from having a great vision. Now, in the past, when that's happened, often citizens' groups have come together and created the vision. So, for example, what is considered the best city plan of the last century, the Burnham Plan of Chicago, was created by citizens and not by the mayor. So. It's, ex it's great if a mayor can create a great vision for a city. And for example, uh, today in Boston, uh, the mayor is uh, leading a whole citywide process called Imagine Boston 2030. Um, and that will be a plan that if everybody buys into will last from mayor to mayor to mayor. But like the Burnham plan, there are many uh, there, there's a case in my book um, uh, called Envision Utah, in which a group of, of civic, civic leaders got together and created the vision and created the plan, and then all the local governments are following it.